Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening. Dunked on for Wednesday night. Glad to have you with us. We're going to continue Danny's battle plan series here with the Atlantic Division. A lot of diversity, shall we say, in this division. So where would you like to begin, Danny? You can uh, continue driving this ship. Well, I, I think the, re- the reason we picked the Atlantic for today is inspired by the decision that the Knicks are going to retain Scott Perry. The reporting is that it was a mutual option. And despite the general take that mutual options like this is more true, baseball, basketball doesn't have them, that they don't get picked up because one side or the other thinks they can do better. This one did. I I think that says certain things. And I'm writing a piece about this. I don't know when it'll be up for real G about for, sorry, the athletic old habits um, about how, why I think this is a mistake. More the idea that general managers in the last year of their contracts are going to probably be more focused on the immediate. And in the case of a bad team, which the Knicks most certainly are, that can lead to some real uh, ramifications. Incidentally, some of those are in Scott Perry's own past when he was the number two for teams that were, in my opinion, too short-sighted. And, uh, but that's why I thought it would be good to do the Atlantic so we can talk about the decisions that Scott Perry now has to make. Yeah, I can't remember who had this. That was it Felbin who had the stat that Scott Perry has basically like never once worked on a team that was above 500. And I'm guessing that's not going to change for the 20 slash 21 season either. <laughs> no, it would appear so. The, the other thing, there, there's been a lot of reporting too, uh, just a, out of New York of like what Leon Rose's plans are. And this is the problem when, uh, as is pretty much the case always with the Knicks, when they bring in a new executive, that they don't allow that person to bring in new people uh, to work under him, as is kind of the case here with Scott Perry too, right? I mean, is really, is Leon Rose convinced that Scott Perry is the absolute best person in the world that he would like to have as his general manager and you'd like to have said general manager on a one-year expiring contract like that's that's really like you're telling me that's exactly what leon rose wants to do right like uh seems a little unlikely to me well and especially considering the knicks have unbelievable means you know it, it, there are certain teams where ah, uh, you know you kind of get in get into a trap or whatever like that but the knicks could hire whoever not not whoever they wanted because there are certain people who just wouldn't take a job with the knicks but they they can set their sights as high as they feel comfortable with which periodically has not been particularly high this is yet yeah, another executive process that was not open to any kind of competition or interviewing we'll see what happens if perry is retained or not but they just and how this is a good question too like don't teams just do better when they actually interview someone (laughs) doesn't that now i i don't have an encyclopedic memory of the situation now and and i guess you know also it's one thing when you know you're hiring away masai ujiri or something like that right like uh someone who already has a really good track record then yeah maybe you're not going to interview everyone under the sun but when you really go through a process you would think that that would normally lead to to better results and the point i was continuing to make is when you're going to have people who stick around who you know may or may not be favored by the new person in charge but are still there that's the situation where you're going to get a lot of leaks like this and so it's a, it always becomes difficult uh, and uh, that also leads to palace intrigue as well when you've got all these people there who weren't necessarily brought in but yet are kind of being usurped at the same time and it's just it's hard to run a front office when you can't just have the conversations that you need to have uh, within the organization you can't trust those people to be loyal uh makes things very difficult um also making things pretty difficult is the state of the current knicks roster oh boy let's start this with the the general first question who is or should be the core of let's say let's say the core of the next 
very good Knicks team, next great Knicks team might be a little ambitious. I mean, there's one one young player that I'm convinced in uh, at this point, and, and even he has this question mark, and that's uh, Mitchell Robinson, and he also happens to play the league's most replaceable position and does not have superstar upside just due to his offensive limitations. Maybe you could say he has upside defensively at, at a superstar level, but uh, and he kind of stagnated last year as well, but I, I think you can, if you're doing a long-term plan, here you can go ahead and pencil him in as the guy you're going to build around as your long-term starting center but it's just you know that sort of player is not gonna is only gonna take you so far right uh you and i are both not sold on rj barrett he could potentially be a part of this you know like he he could i think he could be a small cog in a machine but the problem is his skill set being a limited shooter better as a kind of passer rebounder is hard as a complementary piece because if he doesn't have the ball in his hands then barrett becomes less valuable and if he has the ball in his hands, then I think there are limitations on your offense unless he's a second unit guy. But Robinson's contractual situation also makes this complicated because Robinson on a, a four-year minimum contract and the remember from Nikola from Nikola Jokic's situation that how this often works is the team declines a fourth year team option to make them restricted as opposed to unrestricted. And Robinson's still very young. He just this is his age twenty season, so still got a lot of time. But remember that if that holds, then the Knicks would be choosing to make him a restricted free agent in the summer of twenty twenty one when there is a lot of money around the league. And while we don't know exactly what Robinson or sorry, this was age 21 season. Um, We don't know exactly what the market is going to be for centers. I'd imagine considering how flush the league is going to be for that year that there will be bids. And Robinson is exactly the type of player, knowing what we know right now, who I could worry about being overpaid in restricted free agency because outside of the top tier centers, almost everybody else getting their quote unquote value is going to be overpaid in terms of how a team's salary structure should work. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And we'll see where he's at. You know, I mean, maybe he's in, in line for, you know, your Zubach, your Thomas Bryan type of contract, uh, or maybe he's in line for something that's bigger than that next year is going to tell in theory and to me i think a lot of the work that needs to be done here barrett is their second best prospect they made a big investment in him we'll see you would imagine there's a pretty decent likelihood that they're going to bring in some other type of perimeter player be it a point guard or someone like anthony edwards as a scorer so it really to me you just got to set this up with whoever that player is going to be Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, if you're going to play Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and figure out what you have in those guys, and then you're going to have another rookie who's probably not going to shoot it that well, you just have to have elite shooting at the other two positions on the floor to me to evaluate what you have in that rookie who's going to come in, RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, and get an idea of what those players are going to look like. And uh, the players who remain potentially for next year's roster are not. In fact, uh, elite shooters. They do have Reggie Bullock, who uh, word is leaked out already that they're going to guarantee his four point two million for next year. That makes sense to me. They've also got Wayne Ellington. They got to make a decision on him by six twenty eight. There's also a thought that they might bring back Alfred Payton. And, and again, I'm sure all these dates are going to end up getting pushed back eventually. But uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll run Alfred through. The, I'll run through that quickly. So the the yeah. par- they have partial guarantees for Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington, Payton, and Bullock. And the way it works is each one of them has $1 million guaranteed. And then here are the full potential full values. Taj, $9.5 million. Ellington, $8 million. Peyton, $8 million. Reggie Bullock, $4.2. They should bring back Bullock. Peyton is a big question mark. That could also be a defining question. I believe Mills was a big fan of Alfred Peyton. And it wouldn't, I mean... Perry. No, well, Scott, Scott Perry too. Scott Perry was there in Orlando when he got was, dropped. Yeah, so then, so then that could very well end up being picked up. And remember, they also used you know lottery pick on Kevin Knox. Knox made thirty three percent of his threes last year, but I don't think he's good enough on either end of the floor to pencil into that starting lineup if you actually want to evaluate the more important players than him. To me, Knox can be a part of the rotation, absolutely, but not not relied upon and and this gets into something that is a real challenge for for rebuilding teams which is creating the circumstances that are conducive to the development of your young players without using a ton of resources too like you don't want okay we talked about how they want shooting and ideally you want some defense too along with those guys but signing 
vets who are like post prime or whatever to you know fifteen million dollar a year four year contracts like that could be a problem too. So the Knicks it, it is a tight tightrope to walk, and this is in some ways the least complicated part of that tightrope as these guys get to the next contracts. I, I just noticed this. Sorry, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but uh, I don't know if we talked about this when the Knicks didn't get their man in the summer of 2019 but we were critical of it at the time that they stretched Joakim Noah when they did when was it was that at the start of the 18-19 season yes that they did that or was it it might have even been earlier no I think yeah it must have been the start of the 18-19 it was the start of his last season you said it was 18-19 yeah because we thought hey what if they don't get someone in the summer of 2019 then they're gonna just have six million on their books uh, the next couple of years man would it have been great to just be able to take that whole hit last year and not have six million on their books these next two years going forward instead they stretched in premature they did want the roster spot obviously but I don't think that they did anything like so unbelievable with that roster spot and instead they could have just waived him last summer not stretched him well they they also they also could have just waived him and not stretched him at the same time they could have gotten the roster spot it did that way anyway well that was too risky because they needed the optionality because oh yeah that's a fair point yeah they thought that they were going to be players in the summer of 2019 so that's and because then they could have traded him or something at the time that gave them enough that they could have gotten durant and with along with keeping porzingis's cap hold on the books by stretching him um and maybe there is something to that just in terms of the signaling of like okay you look at their books and they're guaranteed to have this but uh no that was uh that was a poor idea you, you i mean i understand why they uh yeah they, they didn't have the option to that okay and so so let's go back to this so yes yes, for the that was uh that was a non-sucker for the for the sake of the exercise let's say their core is rj barrett and mitchell robinson when they're more fully developed what do you think that pairing does well and what we the flaws that need to be improved we talked about shooting already i would say defense too but like what what is the calling card of a barrett robinson involved team i mean it's basically just a pick and roll between those two guys right kind of has to be there's not there's not much else you can do yeah i mean maybe you could say that you could run some pick and roll with the four man and then the four man could alley-oop it to mitchell robinson deandre jordan style um the knicks also i mean one thing that could be a part of this group in the short term is when they started playing better this year they really started killing people on the glass Mm -hmm. and obviously robinson is a big part of that uh but those i mean they're they're playing like you know basically 90s knicks lineup uh and that that was nice i think it was good to emphasize that with this limited group but obviously you're not going too far when that's like your number one offensive weapon is the glass i mean they had a lot of misses to rebound so i guess that's true that's good yeah i mean that that's uh you make a good point there right if you know you're gonna miss you might as well emphasize offensive rebounding because uh get it getting uh 30 of your misses when you're missing a lot more can be more impactful so, uh, another question that we haven't addressed on every team in this but i think is is potentially worthwhile for the knicks is are there any players on this team that you think have a significant uh, a signif- more significant than normal chance of falling above or below our expectations so like players that are kind of higher variance and i mean i still think there's a chance dennis smith can play i don't know exactly what uh, that he is was so bad last year that like maybe there's just something wrong with him but you know it does seem like he really uh it, it, and it's been such a massive struggle for him on a personal level as well these last couple of years but it, you have to i mean th- there's no way you can count on him doing anything as bad as he's been and frank nokina i i think there's a place for him on on certain teams i don't think the knicks are one of the teams especially considering the shooting that they need from the non barrett robinson spots yeah. you, you know i think he could still be a backup guard yeah potentially um and, and i thought he looked more confident as a shooter towards the end of the season and they don't have a ton of defense uh, at uh, on the perimeter either so I, he does play an important role there i mean if you really were going to look at what's the quickest way for this team to get competent it's probably on the defensive end where they actually were above expectations last year and maybe robinson grows into a monster you've got nilakina who, who could be a, a good defensive player block can be okay in that role and they could and you could put you could put together a competent defensive bench without without too much in the way of resources like that that's totally doable yeah and so maybe that's the theory and if they do hire tom thibodeau you know that's the type of coaching that he is comfortable doing uh that and that that's some more of the the reporting out of new york lately of like that they're likely to uh hire him with the uh the old caa connections there 
Anything else you think is worth discussing in that part of New York City? Well, I mean, we can talk briefly about Kevin Knox uh, as well. Um, I mean, still, he was very young when he was drafted. Still worth keeping around, in my opinion. I thought he made some baby steps for it. He wasn't quite as atrocious defensively last year. Uh, too early to just totally give up on him. Um, and, and he does have a sweet-looking shot. It's just the the question is, that he's clearly not going to be an offensive superstar at this point, and so you just said uh, maybe better coaching can ring out of him some decent three and D type of play. And he also needs to get a lot better on the defensive part of that three and D. And I, I mean, instinct, yeah. effort, execution, all of it. Yeah, certainly. Again, when you have two, your first two years, no matter what age you are, as bad as his have been, it's really tough to say that you're going to become even a solid rotation player is probably less likely. What do we? What do they do? And I mean, we we didn't even talk about what their cap space situation is. Uh, looking at it, probably around forty million or so if they bring back Bullock and were to win wave the the rest of the guys i might consider bringing back ellington as well to do a shooting but i don't think they feel as highly about him as i do and then you've got the julius randall question where he makes 19 million next year and then they have uh, a non-guarantee on him for 20 million the year after that which uh, eh, eh, they may uh, decide to to move on from him at that point i mean to me you just you got it i know julius randall's the most expensive guy on the team like you just have to bring him off the bench and have him be a scorer maybe he can close some games over robinson if the other team is going small but you just this randall and robinson together thing isn't going to work and you got to figure out what you got well in, and, in and more importantly robinson. randall robinson plus barrett really doesn't work and that's right and so i i think that's to me is the even more pressing issue uh, but they're you know connected of course let me ask you this what percent chance do you give rj barrett of becoming a quality high usage player where you're saying all right this guy is one of our top two scorers we feel fine putting the ball in his hands for a 25% usage or more 10 to 20% Oof. like if he yeah. has to if he has to be one of the two best players on offense now I think he can be a part of something successful but if he's a heavy usage part of it it's just I, I you well, know well with, but if he's not a heavy usage guy then he doesn't shoot well enough to do anything else I mean that's true. the whole reason why we thought he had big time bust potential to begin with yeah it's the and I mean so the template is something like what DeMar DeRozan did and that would be some really positive development from RJ from RJ Barrett to get to where DeRozan peak DeRozan was let me ask you this do you like Anthony Edwards or RJ Barrett better as a prospect when they were both coming out of school I I I I, it's just off the cuff a little bit I think I'd go with Edwards on the idea that his shot selection is so much worse and on the if that is corrected I think I think that his shot is better than RJ Barrett's I think that Barrett has that's right Edwards to me has a better chance of his shot actually working yeah I, I like a lot of the other things that Barrett does much better I think he's a superior passer a superior rebounder he's his effort on the defensive end I think was was better as well but yeah, just a, a more competitive yeah. more polished player who's actually you know played had played at high levels had experience had you know actually won in college and at the international level but all of um, those things pale in comparison to to the jump shot because if if that doesn't work then all the rest of it is just window dressing yeah i agree and i think the vast majority of people to me if you compared what they thought of rj barrett to what they're going to think of anthony edwards they probably would think that rj barrett is better uh but i i disagree i I think just because barrett and he did absolutely zero to dispel the concerns about his shooting and and also edwards has more athleticism than barrett too i mean that's the other problem yeah he he can get he can get by his guy and 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 edwards i think he has better building blocks to become elusive like he's not really shifty now but if you know if he spends a bunch of time in the gym over the next couple years maybe he can get a little bit of that whereas Barrett when you don't have that this is the D'Angelo Russell problem and Barrett's worse on it than D'Angelo Russell is if you can't get by your guy uh, I I wouldn't go that far I think I think RJ is is, uh it has a a more quickness than than Russell maybe relative to his position that might be that might be well and and also Russell I mean to the extent he ever does drive it's because you're respecting his shot I mean RJ is still getting by guys sometimes not often but sometimes and and he's doing it with nobody respecting. 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so th- it's going to be a, it's going to be a real challenge there. And like I talked about last year with the Cavs and Colin Sexton, the Knicks should uh, to me. You take who you think is the best prospect. Doesn't matter if they conflict with RJ Barrett. If you think they have the best ceiling, because R- you're not. You can't be clear that R- sure that RJ Barrett is a centerpiece, a linchpin. And so if this other player can supplant him, by all means. Yeah, ideally you draft a point guard who's got some shooting ability, depending of course on, on where you're gonna land but i mean guy can you imagine if they have edwards and rj barrett on the same team uh okay let's uh let's take a quick break and then we move on to uh the other part of new york man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm going to be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us Brooklyn Nets. Okay, obviously the Nets at a much more mature point here than the Knicks are. It seems like there's some news that they had a a list of candidates that included Mark Jackson and uh, some of the other ex-players that Kevin Durant would probably want. He's been, he's kind of vocal about wanting an ex-player. It seems like of all those, Ty Lue was the only candidate. Jason Kidd was also on that list. Ty Lue is the only candidate that I thought wouldn't be a complete disaster. I think Ty Lue would actually, as we mentioned, would be good for this team because regardless of the strategic element if he can keep Kyrie Irving sane that's a bigger value add than any other coach is going to provide and he did seem able to do that he seemed to have a pretty good relationship with Kyrie in Cleveland if you want to compare him to uh Kyrie's two coaches after that um so I mean that's number one to get the coach in are you in agreement with me on on uh that Lou would be a pretty good choice here firmly in agreement and and Mike 
criticisms of Ty Lue are exactly the same as they were back when we we did a coach ranking for, I think it was Stitcher Premium a long time ago, and I had Lou way lower than you did because I didn't think we knew what he was tactically. But the interpersonal, when the talent is locked in and this chaotic, the interpersonal element is so important. Well, and also you got two of the best ISO players, Kyrie and KD. You don't need some like unbelievable offensive system. Yeah, you know, and ideally, just... ideally, you want somebody with the the gravitas or the respect of those guys enough that they can do other things on the margins, like playing your best center as opposed to your second best center. But there's you kind of need to cross cross bridges in a specific order. So we we know I think that the core of this team, whatever their ceiling is, involves Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And I think it's instead of using the focus that we did on teams like the Knicks, I think the way to the way I want to talk about the Nets is how different players fit in with that core. So my feeling is that Karis Levert does not fit in particularly well, at least as a starter with those players. He can be a part of the rotation, could end up being an important, you know, second spelling guy, depending on if the next coach wants to stagger KD and Kyrie or play them together. But Levert, I like him more on ball than off ball, and he's not going to have the ball very often with that group and i think you want more shooting in defense yeah and i can't remember where it was that i made this point but it was within the last month that levert's value is only going to go down and he does have that extension that kicks in that that pays him 52 million over the next three years after this one uh and he won't be, be traded of course until that kicks in but playing with spencer dinwiddie kyrie irving and kevin durant he's just not going to have a chance to do that much of, of what he does well he's going to be forced into a smaller role doing more spot up shooting he might be miscast as they're number one defender on the perimeter as well and i think he can be okay there but he's too thin to really guard some of the best guys um and so he's just his numbers are just going to be down his overall value will be down and it will also be very apparent that he just it won't be that valuable to the nets like it'll be obvious to teams that the internal leverage of him they there's no reason for them to keep him because he's just not helping them that much in addition to the fact that his numbers will be down and just isn't going to look as good so i think you need to move him sooner rather than later and also that he could just turn into a pumpkin i mean his efficiency numbers were not good last year and he has had some big games obviously that game in boston where i think he had 37 in the fourth quarter in overtime that crazy uh, comeback yeah yeah uh but uh, and he had another big game in toronto where he had well over 30 points uh, when his jumper is working he can look really good and so i think there's still this patina that he could be a star at some point and that's just going to be totally lost if he plays another season with the the rest of these guys i agree uh let's go to torian prince another player that sean marks decided to give a longer term contract to Prince 12.3 million for the 20 slash 21 season 13 million even in 21 22 I thought he took some strides you know like this the funniest part with Prince is he had a, an undeserved reputation defensively at Baylor because he kind of looks like he plays hard but he, he Baylor was in that zone he never really showed it to me defensively in Atlanta didn't look much better maybe a little bit better in Brooklyn and that becomes an issue if the how depending on how important defense is because if Kevin Durant you and I both feel that Kevin Durant's the step the 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 harder recovery is going to be on the defensive end of the floor so if the starting forwards are Prince and Durant that means Prince is probably going to be taking on some of the more challenging assignments or having to help and both of those could be problematic if this team wants to be really good yeah and and the one thing that'll be better for Prince will be on offense oh yeah he shot 43 percent from two and he wasn't taking that many twos but there were times when he actually had to be their second best perimeter creator and clearly is miscast there he did slump to 34 percent from downtown this year on just under seven threes per game but overall field goal shooting less than less than 38 percent is not good so i think moving him into even more of a three-point gunning role would be good but he's not good enough at the three part and he's not good enough at the d part i think i think it was a reasonable risk to acquire him but now i mean this is his age 25 season you can't expect that he's going to get a ton better than where he was and so that's uh that's a concern going forward that's i mean it's not a wasted roster spot but you'd hope that they can upgrade there and then their other problem is they the joe harris to be a free agent he's going to be in demand i think even with offers above the full mid-level exception which would be 10 million a year for four years essentially a little bit more than that and these guys are looking at the tax 
We'll see how willing they are to go deep into the tax. And and, and let's yeah. let's the short term tax matters because they're because the team gets really expensive. Yes, Josai has a ton of money, but also remember this is multi year because Durant and Irving are signed both twenty one twenty two fully guaranteed and both player options in twenty two twenty three. So if Joe Harris gets a three year expensive contract, the expectation is that the Nets are probably going to be in the tax all three of those years, and if they're not the third year, it's because they lost stars yeah i mean the nets better hope neither of those guys is opting in yeah because that means that they're not very good at that point and and if those guys are opting in it's not going to matter they're they won't be good enough and they're just gonna they'll cut salary so that they they won't be that expensive anymore but yeah who knows what the situation with the world economy is uh, is going to have on joe Tsai's willingness uh, to spend clearly that was part of the plan when they brought all these players in but uh, a lot can change there uh, as well uh spencer dinwiddie i think is a really good fit with this group uh but he can be a as a player option for 21 22 he almost certainly you would think would opt out of that and he'll be ready for a big raise and maybe not one where they're willing to pay it you know i mean i think he can get at least 20 million dollars a year if he continues to play at his current level and a chance to start and he might in fact leave at that point there's been thought that hey they should trade him but you know he was part of the recruitment of Kyrie, so i'm not sure if they feel like they can do that i mean it might be make sense to do that if they're not gonna offer him a starting role or feel like they can afford to pay him 20 million dollars a year and and then part of that goes into how much you're willing to pay joe harris this year as well are you gonna have to decide between harris and dinwiddie maybe they would try to move prince to open up some cash if they traded lavert maybe they would do that and that could save them some money i mean to me the the deandre jordan prince and lavert having 38 million dollars tied up in those guys on average over the next couple of years that's that's not ideal for all players who really are going to be bench guys on this team they'd be playing each of those guys 10 million a year or more yeah or at least non-premium players i mean that that the, you know maybe one of them ends up being a fifth starter and then remember jared allen he is extension eligible at the end of this season and will would theoretically be a restricted free agent in 21 22 absent an agreement 11.7 million dollar cap hold isn't bad but remember cap holds don't really matter for teams in the tax so it would be whatever his next contract is and I think Allen's going to end up, we just we just talked about this in the Mitchell Robinson conversation, in that like useful, clear starter, center type of group. But if he's non-elite, then those players often get either properly paid or overpaid, and it just creates, it can create some real problems for a team's books if you're, you know, kind of not at that, not necessarily at that level or not relying on him. And considering, you know, DeAndre Jordan will still have two years left on this contract and still is a dear friend of, Katie and Kyrie to the point where they took less money to bring him in then this could get really complicated Kyrie's comments which were controversial about a month or so I think before the season ended where he was basically saying we need more help we need a third star in here how would you rate the Nets ammo in terms of being able to trade for a star it's it's rough and they Levert is on I would I would say it's a either i would say it's a slight negative value contract i'm not as high on levert as as some people torian prince to me is on a negative value contract they don't really have intriguing young pieces zana musa hasn't done anything for me kuriks fell out of fell out of favor and they don't really have you know the pick arsenal isn't great or anything like that so it's I mean, Jared Allen is is really the piece there if they wanted to move him, but then that creates a whole other set of problems. And also, you're not getting a star for Jared Allen one year away from getting a raise. Yeah, they also have Philly's pick this year, number 18 overall. Their own pick is owed to Minnesota via Atlanta and... That was the that, that was the Torian Prince pick, probably. I mean, you could argue yeah. one or the other. And but they have all their own draft picks going forward. Uh, aside from that, now I will say this: if I were a t- if I were a general manager with a player that Brooklyn was interested in, paralleling what happened in uh, was that that would that was in the uh, the Anthony Davis trade, where I would see if you can get Sean Marks to trade Nets picks further out, because I think this thing could crash and burn pretty hard later, and it might take time for them to rebuild so if i could get like a 24 or maybe even a 23 or 25 first round pick 
that sort of asset would be really interesting to me. Yeah, I think even 22-23, I would even be interested in that. I mean, it's really next year and the year after. Those are the years, and KD and Kyrie are really... uh, And I got to say, when we went through and ranked the top players in the NBA, and KD at nine, and Kyrie was, you know, what was he? Just because of his lack of health was, you know, down in the 15 range. I mean, that's not not winning you a title. Those guys are going to have to be better than that. Those guys are both going to have to be... What is not winning you a title with this kind of supporting cast either. Like, you could, if if they had the Iguodala's and Draymond Greens of the world, sure, you know, like, you could could get pretty far with that. But if it's, if those are your only top 40 players in the league, then that becomes a problem. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique mattresses everybody sleeps differently and helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Uh, Let's turn to their neighbors about 98 miles to the south, the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers are uh, have a real challenge because they you know we wonder how their core fits together but we already know how committed they are financially to that core so this is uh it's something that uh Jaron Wetzman and I talked about in the Real Gym Radio from last week but it is a big um a big bugaboo for this team is that Tobias Harris paid through the 24 season Joel Embiid through 23 Ben Simmons through 25 Al Horford has that partial guarantee for 22-23 so then you have those guys locked in for a I'll use I'll use the 21-22 season. Those guys locked in for a combined 126.2 million dollars. And that doesn't include Josh Richardson who is a, a has one more year before that player option which we feel like it's a lock to decline. So, we'll talk about whether we think this core makes sense together, but we know that they're functionally locked in. It appears that way and and may, they can make some trades. They have they're out that one draft pick that Brooklyn has, but they also improbably look like they're going to get a first rounder from OKC. It's currently projected to be 22nd, although that that projection was based on where the standings were supposed to end up. I think though if the standings were frozen as of right now, then they would then go. okc would lose the pick yeah yeah those top 20 that was from the jeremy grant trade years and years ago uh and that uh that pick has had a circuitous run it went to orlando and then back to philly for markel fultz yeah so the finances here you mentioned them as of right now with only nine players under contract plus 
plus that pick or eight players under contract plus that pick they already would be 10 million dollars into the tax and have a 16 million dollar tax payment again we don't know what the sixers financial situation is going to be we don't know where the tax is going to be we don't even know if they're going to be playing with fans for much if not all of next season so the plan much like in brooklyn okay hey we know we're going to be expensive that's cool we're going to pay it that there could be a wrench in that you, you just don't know what the situation is they could just be in, in a spot where they simply have to move money and then also i think looking at what this team could be in the playoffs if they lose in the first round to boston then you're that really changes your evaluation of this team as well you're really going to want to pay that much for this team that was not realistically a championship contender does that lead to a trade of al horford to try to reduce money and are you going to give up a pick along with him to move him and you're going to just try to build with more shooting or on Simmons or Embiid uh that stuff does do you think Harris has any value I think he's I think he's a negative value contract I I agree with you but I also wouldn't be surprised if somebody saw him as positive value you know like I mean he had max offers last summer and it's not like he played just like so much worse yeah Um, Um, I think it would be a mistake I want to start I want to start more basic though I mean we've, we've gotten into this before do you think Embiid and Simmons are a viable core as the top two players on a championship team oof and you would just things would have to be very very optimized around them i mean to me richardson simmons and b that's pretty good but then just committing the amount of money that they did to harris and horford combined 65 million for next year that's where it goes wrong and the those guys are just you're not getting enough out of those two salary slots to me in terms of the fit around Simmons and Embiid can they I don't know I I still am not ready to just totally punt on what I thought the Sixers could maybe be as one of the best defensive teams of all time um and Horford obviously didn't live up to his end of the bargain maybe he comes back and he's a lot healthier after some time off and and that really changes things or maybe this thing where he just can't make a three-pointer when Joel Embiid is on the floor goes away maybe and maybe Embiid getting this long break during the season that gets him closer to right just all the nagging stuff. uh i mean i i if i had to bet i would probably go the other direction <laughs> distinctly possible um i mean the uh, but and hopefully ben simmons back is you know they're expect they're expecting him to be able to play whenever we return don't yeah, know D- jackie mcmullen reported that uh, last week i believe but so, but on the conceptual foundation of canon and simmons comparing work i think they can the challenge for me is entirely on the offensive end. Those guys are both very talented defenders, and you could build lots of theories around that. Simmons can defend a bunch of different positions. Embiid can be a wonderful rim protector center. And I, I think that I'm less concerned a little bit now about, you know, like the, the challenge has always been that Simmons has to have the ball in his hands, and if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, the whole thing doesn't work. But I, I think that I think that there's enough there but as you said, getting the right pieces, not even ignoring the specific context of the Sixers and that they've spent money on guys X, Y, and Z, getting capable defenders who are also really good shooters and ideally one of them can handle the ball but is better without it. It's a lot to ask and it was always going to be difficult. And, you know, ideally Marco Fultz would have been a, a part of that. That didn't end up happening. All sorts of all sorts of other things. I mean, Redick, I think, helped helped be like the WD-40 that, that made that system not squeak nearly as much. But I still, I, I still kind of believe in it a little bit. But then the other practical consideration is, even if I didn't, it's so hard to imagine how you would use that information to turn this team to make it that. So let's say you think Simmons is the guy who, you know, Embiid can be the best player on a title team and Simmons is the guy holding him back. Well, then what the hell does a Ben Simmons trade look like now that you already gave him max extension? Well, some have speculated that it could be Embiid rather than Simmons. Yeah, that's the other way it could go. Maybe more just due to the health ticking time bomb aspect. And I mean, and then I'm sure those people got ammo with how well Ben Simmons played in, in Embiid's absence during the middle of the season. How long ago does that feel like, by the way? Um, but it, to getting back to your original question, even of those two guys playing together, it really has to be absolutely perfect around them to be good 
good offensively. I mean, you mentioned that you need enough shooting, but it's not even that. You also need a primary pick and roll ball handler who then can even shoot when he's off the ball. And so to get that and to get shooting, I mean, you had Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick, like players like that, you know, that that was probably about as good as you're going to get. And then maybe instead of Tobias Harris, you could have had one more three and D type of guy instead. Oh, well, we're, yeah, different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe what if you just had Josh Richardson with that group instead of Tobias Harris, but JJ Redick and Jimmy Butler, like that doesn't grow on trees, right? I mean, to, to find another really good perimeter ball handler. I mean, that's a, that's a, a tough ask, I, I think. And so, you know, maybe you could say that they could go more kind of a, try to grab like a Zach Levine or a Lou Williams type, just one of these limited score guys. And basically say, we have, we have three or four good defenders. We don't have to have five. Right. And, and you just say, hey, this guy can run pick and roll. He can score. We just need a pure score. That's what we're going to do. And then we'll trust everyone else to, to take care of the defense maybe that's the construction here and they do have these picks going forward they got Matisse Thibel would you if they were let's say they moved on from Josh Richardson due to money concerns and they decided to bring in Matisse Thibel and again I'm not saying that I know they're going to do that it's just I think you have to consider the possibility you have, we have no idea how all these teams finances and also their owners personal wealth as well I mean you just to, if, even if they have money in the stock market that's going to be down by you know whatever it is 30 percent or something so uh would you trust Matisse Thibel to come in and be a starter with this group if they had to move on from Josh Richardson they've relied a lot on Josh Richardson's ability to make some pull-up shots remember that was an important part of their Christmas Day win over the Bucks was that he was just hitting hitting all the shots also the defense was great and everything else yeah um, Furkan Korkmaz is making like five straight threes <laughs> in the third quarter was also also was a part of it I think that that Tybal fits in beautifully defensively. You know, he can. He's such a ball hawk. He, he he might end up being the biggest ball hawk in the entire league by the point he could theoretically replace Josh Richardson. But I think his offensive game is is really limited. And so if if it's just making a conference finals, you know, being in that mix. Sure, I think that you could you could make it work. You're probably going to be relying a lot on Simmons and Embiid anyway. But I, you know, I, even if Thibel is just like a low usage can hit the open threes, I just think the amount you need more threats to keep to keep opposing defenses honest. And even if Thibel ends up hitting a couple shots, if you can gum up the works with his guy regularly, I think the teams will make that choice, and that will be another way that Philly's offense can stagnate. So I. I wouldn't, but at the sa- I wouldn't love it. But at the same point, they're so capped out that unless they could somehow do something where it was like they facilitate a sign-in trade and get a trade exception that they're actually willing to spend to use, it wouldn't surprise me if your Josh Richardson hypothetical happens. If that's what they have to do. So I know we're going long on these guys, but we've got a lot of time. So fuck it. If you were the Sixers, would you offer Joel Embiid for Carl Anthony Town? You can see, you can see where my thinking is going from here, right? Yeah, I mean Towns makes Simmons work better offensively and the idea is that you still have enough defense to you won't be as good obviously you won't have the ceiling won't be that so basically better to be top 10 in both than to be top five in one and middle in the other i i still and and also you could say maybe towns is undervalued right now he doesn't get hurt really Embiid does he he could be at the peak of his value and you just you're gonna get more years out of Towns. Towns would probably be happy especially with uh, what's going on with his family to be back near home um yeah he's from jersey uh i i wouldn't just because i think i when i i think that we've seen Embiid as the potential best player in a in a real playoff series like we've seen i think we've seen more of that than we have with towns you and i both agree that towns has that potential but i value certainty on that and i mean there i would love to get towns in almost any other circumstance but it's it's such a big gamble and we already know like it that is you know, if the if let's say this playoffs happens and it doesn't go the way that Philly expected I would become much more amenable to that basically the idea that this isn't going to work that might be the next best roll of the dice but I maybe it's just that I res, I respect the capability of this team so much that I'm not willing to do it yet yeah yeah I think it, it would be uh, I mean obviously you're not gonna have any more trades in, until sure this season but like let's say theoretically if I mean we're not obviously none of us hoping for this let's say the playoffs are canceled would you be willing to do it oh god Whew. 
move. I mean, I think I might try to see what I could do moving Horford and maybe moving Richardson and see, seeing what's out there first. But I would I would definitely consider it. If that was just, this is the only possible option that you have for this team, I, I think I might do it. I think I might actually. Uh, if Because I think you just, the information that we have to date is that this team is not a championship contender as currently constructed. And Towns offensively opens up so much for them because he can he he is more dynamic to me as an offensive player he defenses have to treat him a little bit differently than Embiid he I like his his shooting stroke so much more and I think that Simmons would really benefit would really benefit from that Tobias Harris probably would too and but it's not like Embiid is like a bad offensive player or but Towns is potentially generational as a non you know primary ball handler and that's that we've seen general like special offensive bigs it it mostly comes back to the health for me that's the biggest thing because if you're feeling like hey you know what we're not in a position to win a championship right now i'm skeptical that two years from now Embiid is still going to be good due to health issues and i think towns you can feel a lot better about it It's, it's really just more of an idea of trading now for the future that aspect in addition to the fact that it's a better fit with ben simmons who's a tough guy to fit around yeah it's tough so tough uh yeah i mean i'm not saying that this is like an obvious move no and it'll never happen but i thought it was interesting well so let's talk briefly from minnesota's perspective do you (laughs) yeah i guess that's right right you 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 uh so i wouldn't want to do it then if you're minnesota because you're not ready to win right now you're not ready to win to win right now and mb does really give them a defensive foundation but i don't love the Embiid d'angelo russell combination incidentally that was something we talked about as a possibility at a couple other moments in time when russell was potentially available but also the the yeah the wolves just aren't close and if if we consider Embiid just you know each year is a potential risk of something severe then it you're just burning potentially good years and so i wouldn't i wouldn't do it as minnesota he, he might i mean i think he's got a better chance of getting them to the playoffs than carl anthony does. oh absolutely and, and that's maybe that's what they care about i mean if i were minnesota i wouldn't do it if they were minnesota uh they are minnesota <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and especially when you consider the interpersonal, like the the friendship between Russell and Towns, to to then make that move would be, and and moving moving Embiid to Minneapolis. Yeah, but I, I think maybe Towns would would want to do it just to be closer to home, though. Like, yeah, I oh think, no, I think Towns would be fine. I think Russell would be pissed. Uh, he's got his max contract. I think that's what's yeah. always important to him. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's take a look at Toronto here quickly. I mean, I would say knowing what we know right now, their core is probably tier one. Can we say Siakam and Nick Nurse? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Nurse counts in that. And then, oh, yeah, I mean, I think you throw Ananobi. In yeah, there and then well. Ananobi's probably the next next group down. And, and as much as I like Van Vliet, I think that he's he's kind of a valued support player more than a centerpiece because he does he does what he does well. And even though he showed some real signs during this nineteen twenty regular season, I I just don't think he's at that level. And Lowry's probably aging out of that. Gasol and Ibaka are valued support players you know and then on a lot of teams they could be more important but the raptors have loftier aspirations and they are the reigning champions yeah and we don't spend much time on them because we talked a lot about them on that two-part mailbag that we did last week when uh, in the context of what we would be willing to pay fred van vliet and their Giannis aspirations in the summer of 2021 when they project to have about 55 million in cap space so i i feel like we we've hit on them a, a fair amount you know, it seems like the the operative plan here is bring the band back next year. Serge Ibaka has said that he wants to return. Um, they should have enough money to do that and still pay Gasol and Ibaka more than they could get elsewhere. Uh, Van Vliet is, is probably the one potential monkey wrench in that plan of bringing everyone back for next year but it seems like hey let's just maintain our good team and we'll uh hopefully be a top four seed in the east again in 2021 and then uh come what may in 2021 free agency that seems like really uh, hopefully not too much of an oversimplification but that seems like what you're gonna what you're doing here another huge consideration is that most of the theories around toronto's 2021-22 season involve them not being a luxury tax team because if they are using cap space to go after Giannis or whoever, then they're probably not, you know, this was the thing with the Warriors when they got KD, was they they weren't a they weren't a luxury tax team that year. And so that makes it easier for ownership 
to handle it for the 20 slash 21 season because if they know it's just a temporary thing and it would count towards theoretically the repeater depending on what happens but I would say that the repeaters the repeater tax in Toronto would be would be because something really really good happened and maybe at that point Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment would be okay with it. Uh, and they they could bring the guys back as long as as long as they're willing to do kind of what Kyle Lowry did, which is take a you know a significant salary, but not have it having any sort of thing guaranteed for twenty one twenty two. Maybe having some sort of understanding that if they don't get what they want that year, they could bring back some of those guys. But remember that all these decisions are happening at the same time, so I don't think Masai and the front office would make any promises there. Let's turn to Boston, and my question for you on them, uh, another team that I talked about pretty extensively with Jared Weiss. Uh, on sunday night's episode but for boston they are going to have some financial concerns they're in a very similar situation although they at least have more players in this uh, to where philly is but what does this team need assuming that they want to keep this core this group together tatum brown hayward is likely not going anywhere next year although maybe you could see a move where he gets traded for a center and one more wing ball handler type and they also try to save some money for next year maybe that would be a move they would make uh if there there's some financial constraints but oh you're not are you going to make me throw out my gordon hayward miles turner hypothetical uh i mean that's sort of the the way that you might think of right yeah that that's sort of a move and they also have these three first round picks which all which make a combined about eight million bucks as well when you throw throw all those picks together they project to have 17 26 and 30 so maybe you could get something by throwing in those three picks as well they have enough well, and, and, young guys you would think and they have and they have young guys that could be intriguing including in, in this hypothetical one romeo lankford who oh yeah that's right he played at indiana which could could be interesting not that he had the greatest career at indiana but anyway and and gordon hayward played at butler which is in indianapolis and I think that's a possibility. There's also a chance that Robert Williams just becomes good enough that he's not perfect, but that he can be a... a fill that niche like the idea of a kind of center patchwork quilt maybe Tice is a part of it Robert Williams and then you get somebody more for the mid-level exception that can do it that's a lot cheaper and then you don't have to pay somebody or acquire somebody via trade my so yeah I think that's getting a center that makes sense assuming they're going to keep Brown smart Tatum I think that is that is the clearest need but the yeah, question and that's not to undervalue what Tice has done he's been a quality starting center but we're we're, ta- sure. we're having a different conversation that Tice just might be played out of and and it could even and also remember that a challenge for the Celtics is they have all these good wings but they do not have a wing that fits the PJ Tucker Draymond Green mold where you could credibly play them as your biggest guy or your rim protector or whatever like me I'm sure there are some that would think maybe Grant Williams could be that but he's not really a wing he's just short that doesn't make him a wing and so yeah I mean they could get somebody more in that range if they wanted to but I don't know who that is either but the question that I wanted to give to you here for Boston is when you consider the fact that Jalen Brown is about is he's his contract is already locked in Jason Tatum dead bang lock for a max whether it's an extension or a mat or an offer sheet in summer 21 when do you think this collection peaks is it now where you know you have Kemba Walker have Gordon Hayward and those guys might age out but you can't fully replace them or is it later just because Brown and Tatum are going to improve so much that they will be able to figure it out around them yeah that's an interesting question I do think if you do have Brown and Tatum you do need that third really good piece is that someone like miles turner possibly right that's is that guy good enough Uh, you know i'm not sure Uh, we'll see i mean i think they would need but they'll still have kemba walker for a couple more years and he's a good player you also just wonder about his size at the highest levels and we just haven't seen that from him he tries on defense but he could end up being a liability brad stevens is good at hiding those liabilities defensively so maybe there would be some impetus to trade him hayward marcus smart i think all three of those guys i wouldn't just dismiss out of hand the idea of moving them but yeah i think as tatum and brown to me are really and brad stevens of course are are really the core that this whole thing is built around and yeah you know it's funny they are top five offense top five defense barely but i still don't think they're quite championship quality on either end i think they need to get better and it's not really clear i mean maybe tatum just goes so nuts that you're just that good of an offense maybe that's up but they still don't have anyone who really gets to the line that well and 
Tatum needs to improve as a distributor. They're still not a great team attacking the basket. So they do have some ways in which they probably need to get better. It, it does see, and it also seems like they're just, they because of Stevens as well, they play a little over their heads during the regular season sometimes. So I, I do think they need more high-end talent. And when you think about it, I mean, if you're, I don't see Jason Tatum still getting to be a top 10 player in the NBA, but I could be wrong about that. I've, I've uh, certainly have been too low on him at many a time. But I also don't want to overcorrect in the, in the other direction now either. Well, so okay, okay, so here's how I put it. When I because I've been thinking about this question for a week, so I've had a lot more time to process it. I would say that over the passage of time, Toronto's expected value goes down a little bit just because it'll be harder to replace those guys. And Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, they are very good players right now. But their title odds actually go up because of the un- you, you, Boston, 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 yes, so, yeah. So their their expected value drops not a ton because they have really good pieces. Stevens is a wonderful coach. So like, let's say regular season wins. It's just, just because everything that happens. But their title odds, I think, actually go up just because there's more uncertainty around the league. And theoretically, maybe they can add Danny Ainge as a, a very talented GM. Maybe maybe they can add something over that, you know, being blind to what that could be. They could use these resources and, and add something on top of it that, you know, a better third player or what, you go in a different direction. But it's it's tough. I mean, I... I'm a little bit concerned. Well, uh, I you can define success however you want, and I think the Celtics might end up being one of those consistently really, really good teams that is never a significant title contender. Maybe they get to the finals once or twice, but their guys are good enough, and their core is good enough and young enough that I am absolutely not writing them off. No, and certainly they have done a, an excellent job of developing players. Anything else that you really wanted to hit on with these guys? Again, if you want to hear more Celtics talk, I did a whole pod on them uh, just earlier this week. Uh, no, I think that's I think that's pretty good. Um, we'll see. Uh, the other question for the twenty slash twenty one season is which of their young guys can really step up? Because Langford or Robert Williams are they a part of the rotation? Maybe even a starting caliber player at some point? Can Grant Williams fit in somewhere? Because if they can get on, like let's say on a conference finals team, if they can get something real from any one of those three guys, it makes a lot of things easier for Danny Ainge. Yeah, and of course, too, what do they do with those three draft picks? Yes as well all right anything to talk about before we go here there will be a new real gm radio probably coming out on thursday so you can look for that i have uh, the part two of the kelly eco pieces on real gm and i as i mentioned earlier in the show i am working on a piece about short-term gms in the, using the lens of of scott perry and that should be out at the athletic thursday maybe friday depending on editorial all right and we will be back tomorrow we're going to finish out the best and worst decisions of the last five years uh, do the western conference look at, i really enjoyed doing that uh, that was a great trip down uh memory lane so i'm looking forward to doing that podcast a lot we'll talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply